Hello there, I'm Bar Ruven, I'm the co-founder of the CAT669 Alumni Association and the Executive Vice President of Development for the American Friends of Unit 669, aka AFU669. In addition to my unit work, I'm an entrepreneur, I sold my first startup called Mishlochov a few years ago and I'm now the co-founder and CEO of this year. Since we are celebrating one year since we started our podcast initiative, as we did in our last episode, we decided that this time it will be a little bit special and different and we will interview each other. Our guest today is my co-host, Dr. Jonathan Pfeffer, an innovation and mentoring expert. Yoni helps U.S. and Israeli startups and multinationals design and implement their innovation strategy. He is a mentor and judge in Harvard Innovation Lab and a mentoring supervisor at the CAT669 Alumni Association. He teaches innovation management and strategy at Reichman University. I'm lucky that I met him. We have special bond and I consulted with him personally a few times in hardest time and decision-making in the last five years that we know each other. Yoni Pfeffer, welcome and thank you for joining us. Thanks, Joining me <laughs> this <laughs> yes, time. thanks. So, besides what I already said, share, share some uh, Some personal insights. stuff. Um, I've been back in Israel for almost four years now, after 12 years in the U.S. What else can I say? The other career, or the career path I didn't choose, was uh, music. So I'm a, a pianist, just pianist, right, and uh, yeah. So I, uh, whenever I can, I play the piano. You know what we need to do one time? Yeah. I don't know if we can bring a piano, but a keyboard and, and a guitar. You, you can be on the guitar. Yeah. Right? To make uh, maybe this is the the intro to the way to the <laughs> podcast we need to make. Okay. So uh, yeah, I, mean, I guess that's a little bit about me. That out of the more professional. Okay. Regular. Okay. So we'll get back to the professional side. Uh, few minutes but I want to start from the relationship uh, with us with the organization with the unit uh, you came from the US after so many uh, years with a successful career and you started working with us and stayed uh, very long <laughs> for five years right <coughs> uh, no four you said and from time to time you take more responsibility and join more projects and mostly for um, as a pro bono basis so what is uh, that attract you in our organization or the unit so much that ah, you decide cool. again and yeah. again to, to take part? Okay. Uh, Ronnie Cohen uh, approached me, he was the first one to approach me, maybe it was five years ago before even I came back, to help with the mentoring program. What attracted me to it and what makes me you know, come back to it and invest in it? And, and like you said, it is almost completely pro bono, right? The fact that you meet a special type of person in the unit. The graduates from, from the unit are a um, unique group of people, individuals, and we can get back to it later and, and mm -hmm. kind of expand on it. But also, the mentoring program allows me to do something which I really like, which is do both work at the macro level and at the micro level, meaning both one-on-one -on -one work where you can mm -hmm. see your impact both on the mentors, by With the, the mentors, way, right. and on the mentees. And you can see the change you make in their life and macro um, impact due to the fact that I'm, I'm managing a group of uh, mentors and the program and, um, and, and, and the group of the mentees, right? So mm -hmm. you get to scale that impact uh, several times over. Plus, in my background many years ago, probably almost 20 years ago, I was a, a social entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So I founded and managed different nonprofits. So kind of this social mission. You understand the other side of the... Yeah, yeah. So uh, giving back and also having a social impact is something that is near and dear to my heart. And so this is kind of a good marriage for me of, of a lot of my skills, the ability to 
show that impact, to feel that impact, both mm-hmm. individually and kind of on a bigger scale. Okay. So from doing all of this stuff with the organization, with the unit, with the alumni, you know probably more people uh, that served in the unit than a lot of other people. You heard them in the podcast, you interviewed them right. uh, in the mentoring program. You know where women and men and adults and young and combat soldiers and doctors. What values or principles do, do you think that they usually take uh, from their service in the unit? What makes them, us, them so special? First thing that comes to mind is uh, complete dedication and being mission-driven, whether it's a mission or a goal that they put to them, that they kind of devise for themselves mm-hmm. later on after the army or the mission that's given to them by the hierarchy in the, in the army. And commitment and commitment to ideals right so we hear a lot just uh, the other day when we interviewed RS yeah. dr. RS we interview we, we heard about you know contributing to the country mm-hmm. giving back to the state uh, regardless of what you think about these ideals it's clear that they are very idealistic they're very motivated by that and I think even though reality and, and life has a effect of maybe uh, cooling down some of that idealistic mm-hmm. zeal that you have in your youth, this is still something that they have and they, they bring the later to their business, to their, to their entrepreneurial efforts, like in your case mm-hmm. and, and many others, to their profession. So that like single-minded dedication and um, committing yourself to a mission and a goal and being all in, Do, do, do you think that and, and it's not the first time after uh, uh, one of our interviewee uh, left the room and he said wow this person is an uh, overachiever <laughs> do you think that they get into the unit when they are already overachievers or they become they become overachievers in their service I think in general in life circumstances around you bring out what is somewhat already mm. inclined you're inclined to do in, in, yeah. inwards yeah Uh, and, and sometimes they can do the opposite right sometimes circumstance kind of yeah. uh, um, dampen uh, who you are but in any case and and by the way this is also almost like an academic definition of personality which is the consistent consistent behavior across different situations so I think that obviously I didn't research it so this is my personal opinion <laughs> not research vetted <laughs> but I think that for example you when you were 17 mm-hmm. you were probably already exhibiting these traits and And whether you were aware of them or not, the army became aware of them yeah. due to part people from my profession. And then they selected you for the unit and then the unit perfected yeah. it and, and worked on it. Sometimes, by the way, too much of a good thing, mm. unlike what Liberace said, sometimes too much of a good thing can be bad. And sometimes the work we do in mentoring is balancing some of these strengths and, and, and um, skills because... Yeah. You know, um, the army sharpens certain aspects that are really crucial for the army's mission. But then when you go out to civilian Forget life... Forget about the rest. Right. When you go out to civilian life, you need sometimes, not always, but sometimes you need to broaden that yeah. and bring, uh, bring out more of who you are. And that's uh, a lot of the work we do in the mentoring program also. Tell us one or two stories, because I know that you have much more than... And then two, successful uh, stories about the impact that you created in the mentoring program, about M&T, about uh-huh. someone's life. Um, I'll be a little bit of a difficult interviewee. I can't choose two. I will, I will answer the question, but I can choose two uh, for two reasons. <laughs> One is um, 
I don't, uh, I don't have a favorite son or daughter, right? It's yeah. not like I rank yeah. them and like, oh, this is the best. And, and if you want to find the best, you know, it's, it's kind of spread around different. The other is I have a lousy memory for facts. <laughs> okay. Actually, when I was in the intelligence core, I was in the in intelligence directorate where all the mm. re intelligence research, all the intelligence data that Israel has comes and you, and you do the you reports the for, the, for, the, for the you know, chief of staff and stuff like that. And so they really liked me there in part because I didn't remember anything, any report I wrote. So yeah. even if I were kidnapped, I wouldn't be able to divulge any information. I, in reserve, I would read a report and say, oh, this is a great report about this terrorist or whatnot. Who wrote it? And then, oh, it's me. <laughs> so now, seriously, I think it, for me, the best um, gratification or the most gratification I get is from seeing a person go through a, um, a realization, um, introspection, process of realizing something new about themselves, their traits, their capabilities, and their goals in life, and the ability to help them realign all of it. So their values, their skills, their goals, and their environment that will help them, speaking of situations and how they bring about the best or worst in people, so helping them being able to set up their environment mm -hmm. so that they will um, perform their best in relation to real core ideals, values, and, and, and goals that come from that. So sometimes it might mean, it sounds like almost like Disney, what I just said, you know, it's yeah. very nice and amazing, but, but sometimes it means people understanding they have to let go of some dreams, mm -hmm. people understanding they, decisions, exactly, make, make big change, let go of certain things, um, decide you can't do A and B, you have to choose, or decide you, or realize you took a wrong turn somewhere and you need to go back and, and kind of, uh, you know, going back into that um, crossroad and, and take, it, take it again. So to be able to be there for them and for their mentors, it's a unique position I have because I'm supervising the mentors and the mentees, but I don't do the one-on-one -on -one mentoring with them. So being able to work through both of them to help them support each other actually in both frustrating difficult times and sometimes to ease the gap between the miscommunication right yes. right sometimes to deal with conflicts and miscommunication but also in their you know exhilarating times and then feelings of success and and stuff like that you get a very interesting um human selection or selection mm -hmm. of, uh, of, uh, of humans uh in the unit one thing that comes to mind as especially um gratifying mm -hmm. is actually what you might think in, at first sight as the least amount of progress, which is um, in mentoring. One uh, mentee who came, usually I interview each of them for like 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. This person I had to interview for an hour and a half, so literally twice the amount, because had such a big difficulty in, in trusting. Mm -hmm. so, so much so that they came to a program that's all about them. I am there with them investing yep. 45 minutes, right? Uh, of my time pro bono, they're sitting yeah. with uh, a professional that is only sole interest for, is for them. exactly, and they, and he, and he was testing me mm. or she was was testing me and uh, wasn't sure, and the fact that I got that person mm. after forty it took forty five minutes for yeah. for them to let go to of their, all okay. of their defenses. Yeah. After that, defense I was a, the fact the fact that I was able to get them to lower their defenses and talk freely and authentically with me, and then through that be able to match them with a mentor and help the mentor work with that person 
again, mm-hmm. only on those issues, only yeah. on the issues of trust. We didn't even get to your life goals, professional yeah. goals. Just being able to trust and talk heart to heart with someone is amazing. Because mm. this very initial thing, which you usually expect to have in the mentee right away, yeah. like building trust, is, is a huge, huge, huge obstacle for that person because they wouldn't be able to actually um, develop any helping relationship with anyone without it. So I think that that's one that stood out also because it was, you know, obviously very difficult. <laughs> uh, it's almost like an interrogation. You had to kind of like yeah. peel away all these layers to get to the core of the person. Um, okay, okay. So, so I'm getting back to the next one. Um, the headline in your website is Implementing Innovation and Creative Thinking. What does it mean? I know, that I know everything you do. I, mm-hmm. I think I know, maybe. Summarize it. What okay. do you do? What is exactly good? Okay, so starting from kind of macro level, I help unleash um, creativity in organizations, either at the individual level, the team level, or the whole organization strategic level. It means that from my perspective, creativity already resides in any organization because mm-hmm. creativity is a natural human phenomenon. Yeah. Basically, the ability to look at uh, known things through um, um, a unique way, a different yeah. perspective, and make uh, unexpected connections between known data and known uh, facts and experiences. So this is something we all do. For example, if you're ever stuck in traffic and you need to figure out a way to get around traffic from point A to point B, you're just, you're creative, yeah. right? Okay. By the you way, leave the car and, and just yeah, start if, walking. If you thought about <laughs> the new way to get from point A to point B, you were being creative. If you actually turned the steering wheel mm-hmm. and, and drove that way, then you were being innovative. In other mm-hmm. words, innovation is implementing creative ideas. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, and here is a big thing. That the reason I'm saying it is because a lot of organizations have creativity and so a lot of the challenges they have is maybe hearing that creativity, mm-hmm. accommodating that creativity, motivating creativity, but then another very big obstacle that I help with is implementing it. Yeah. So making sure that that wonderful creative idea gets developed from inception up until mm. it's it's implemented, whether it is as a new marketing method or a new product how or a new much, service. How much time it takes? So I'll, I'll say this. It takes, depending on, on average, it takes months, a few months. But it uh, depends on uh, each organization, obviously, and there's a distribution. Sorry, just another mm-hmm. sub-question. What kind of organization? Uh, I'm small, medium, big? Just, again, just to understand. Uh, it runs the gamut. So I, I, use, I usually joke, but it's actually true that I work with high-tech, low-tech, and no-tech. Okay. So, uh, and usually these are, so two groups of organizations usually approach me. It's not the startups in the really, 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 really seed stages, initial stages for innovation, because they usually... You know, they're still innovating and being creative yeah. about their business and, model and, and, and they everything. don't have budget to, to <laughs> probably. But, uh, but I, I do work with them through, you know, like Harvard's Innovation yeah. Lab and other uh, um, accelerators. But usually the more um, engaged uh, or uh, longer-term engagements and, and, and deeper work is done with either uh, scale-ups, so startups that have already grown, and now we're mm-hmm. thinking, okay, how do we maintain that culture of innovation and creativity Stay now relevant. that we're becoming more bureaucratic? Okay, mm-hmm. organized, right? So how do we do innovation when we have organization? Things are now being put in order. There are policies, there are procedures that we have to yeah. put in because we're not 40 people, we're not four people, we're 400 or 40,000, yeah. right? And the other are multinationals, huge conglomerates uh, that need to kind of uh, think back, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when they were mm-hmm. innovative and, and start that again. What I do, so the engagement itself, the work I do with these organizations is more 
fundamental in infrastructure. So I yeah. don't work uh, with them on a specific product or a new idea, a specific idea. I help them develop the pipeline for innovation. Yeah. That is so that for them, it will be easy to do what we call in uh, professional terms, both exploit and explore, meaning both usual work where you exploit your mm-hmm. current um, competitive advantages to create you know, financial impact or social impact, whatever your mission is, you know, to stakeholders, to shareholders, whoever, and explore, that is, to look for your next competitive advantage so that the organization has an infrastructure that enables it and its employees to move between these two because they need this ambidexterity. Every organization needs both to have their, you know, their cash cow, so to speak, and the star and the new thing that they have to develop. So I help organizations with that... um, Usually it's strategy, so going back to what is the organization's strategy, what are some of the threats and opportunities that are coming in your way, what are your core competencies, and how can you build on the core competencies, giving your understanding of your environment to um, to build an innovation infrastructure. Okay, okay. <laughs> and, and again, just even for me to understand better, and I know that it's difficult to choose only mm-hmm. one, but not the best, only one example. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you are dealing with the process, right, and the, and, and the work around it, but the, the people, the company, the organization is taking care of the results. Mm-hmm. So can you share one case study that uh, you made a very good process that turned out amazing result? So uh, what comes to mind is defense uh, contractor, so a huge uh, defense company. And um, the reason it comes to mind is because I was working there with a wonderful innovation manager, but with a very difficult organization. Hmm. Uh, not because the organization is anti-innovation, you know, or the managers don't understand you need innovation. That's usually, awareness usually is not the problem. Yeah. It's because the organization is so big and so bureaucratized and has so many conflicting um, uh, interests hmm. and uh, motivations. And it is usually the main killer of innovation in my perspective, usually in my experiences, is so burdened with a lot of, of things. Each employee, each manager has so yeah. much things on, on, their, on their plate that um, as an innovation manager, it's very hard for you to, to get attention, yeah. to convince people to work with you, to make them see that you are not just an added chore, but to actually be able to show them the value you bring them. We did a very intense uh, job of assessing the entire organization, um, you know, strength, weaknesses, obstacles for innovation, stuff like that, and then bringing top management for a strategic development process and a, and a strategy session with all the top and mid uh, managers there, mm-hmm. which was no small feat, and um, come out from it with clear missions for the next year or even two years, mm-hmm. clear teams that can take and, 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 and start implementing it. To me, that's a, that's a big success because usually without a professional intervention, what you would end up getting with a really highly motivated mm-hmm. and smart and professional innovation manager, but in an organization that has so many innovation antibodies, yeah. is you would get innovation theater. So they would do maybe you know, a hackathon yeah. and they would maybe... Just, just talk, to mark... Uh, yeah, like, just to do a check uh, mark a and check then mark, they would yeah. get a post, they would issue some posts about it so they look like from the outside like mm. they're doing something innovation, but then it would die, it would die out because yeah. cynicism would set in because eventually the innovation would not be connected to any bottom line yeah. results. So, you know, the ability to it's get... tangible. Exactly. 
the ability to get this like in-depth process where you go from strategy from the top level macro from the CEO all the way down to each of the managers to be able to show them how innovation ties into their daily work mm-hmm. and to their work three years from now and two years from yeah. now and not just right here and now and how they can bring about their own creativity and the organization would give them resources to explore their creativity yeah. is uh, is amazing I think it's uh, work that you do that both benefits the organization it benefits the employee and manager him or herself because everyone wants to at some point also bring about their extra you know not just the routine thoughts and ideas but their extra creative abilities and for society because you know innovation is what yeah. uh, you Make know progress exactly development there is the the famous story about uh, Google that uh, if I'm not wrong uh, they uh, let their employees to do on Wednesday whatever they want to, to work on different personal projects and this is how uh, Gmail was created mm-hmm. do you see other companies these days because it's more common to to be innovative like doing such things or similar like give to their employees to few hours a week to work on whatever they want yeah but sorry to be uh, a myth buster I guess yeah, this uh, is not a uh, real story no 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 it's not that the story about Google is not uh, real although there are many myths when it comes to innovation and creativity by the way that sound well but not didn't actually <laughs> occur the way there the the story goes in real life um, you know unfortunately or fortunately depending on your perspective innovation is touches on so many issues in organizational life that there is no one and done tactic that you can use you know, oh give them 20 percent of their time free and you know it's never just that mm-hmm. okay and in fact if you do it without if you innovate without forethought and without taking a comprehensive process uh, perspective you might very well end up doing more harm than good because again um, just getting some free time, Mm-hmm. and getting great ideas but having them get stuck and not and see that to nothing happens with them then you what happens is you get more cynicism for innovation than, than even before mm-hmm. you had that initiative it requires a much deeper understanding of organizational life and of the system I guess the, the, the one way to think about it is you never like like in any complex system like the human body mm-hmm. or spaceships right yeah. you can't just say oh okay let's just just plug in this little thing here yeah. and everything will be great no because these are interacting moving parts yeah. and uh, you have to figure out you have to have a systems approach to it and understand the entire system and then if you have that then mm-hmm. you can focus on let's say five initiatives yeah. okay but first you have to re-understand the entire context of the organization so I What, what is your background? How did you very shortly, what was the, <laughs> if, if one of the listeners now sit at home and say, wow, I want to do, when I will be grown up, this is what I want to do, what Yoni is doing. What, what is the, what he needs to do? So I'll say two things. Maybe they would seem, you know, in conflict with each other, but they actually complement each other. You need to be purposeful and aware of yourself and what you want to achieve and work for it. And you also need to understand that nothing is under your control. But did you know when you started, I don't know, studying and then working? No. This, no. So I started as a social entrepreneur when I had the full... Well, actually, to be honest, I started... My undergrad was in medical research in the medical faculty here in Israel. Okay. So I thought I was going to be a... Me- 
a person that does, you know, researches, uh, you know, whatever, HIV, cancer, yeah. um, whatever, pul- pulmonary disease, whatever. Um, COVID. Right, COVID, <laughs> exactly. I still, you know, basically I'm a nerd, so I still love science and I still do science and I and I love all these, still these medical re- reports and everything. And then during COVID, I yeah. had a lot of fun reading these, uh, sounds strange to say, I had a lot of fun with COVID, <laughs> yeah, but fun. reading all these uh, epidemiological reports. In any case, that's what I thought I was going to do. Then... I ended up doing a lot of social entrepreneurship because it was the same time I came out of the closet and was exposed to my, you know, LGBTQIA mm-hmm. community and all the social issues there and became a social entrepreneur, founded defi- and, and found, found and managed different nonprofits. So I thought I was going to do that, but then I wanted to learn how to manage organizations, right? Because I said, okay, I'm, I'm good at founding them and managing them, but why? I never studied it. So let's get some more formal uh, grounding in, in all mm. of this. And I went to Columbia Business School with that in mind, thinking I'm going to go there for two years for an MBA and come back to Israel and start mm-hmm. another nonprofit. And when I was there, I was exposed to this field of organizational to behavior, world. psychology and business, and realized, okay, actually, I like that. And actually, I like studying. And <laughs> so how do I combine all these things? And long story short, I ended up doing the PhD. And I ended up, when I was there, seeing all these Israeli startups coming to the U.S., so I, uh, and working with them, so I, I focused on the issue of, um, and really fell in love with the issue of innovation and creativity. So, so I guess the point is to be, to know thyself, to know really well what motivates you and what you like. And then with that in mind, when the right opportunities come in life, and that is something yeah. you can help, but you can't control, you can help with, but you can't control then you will be able to take the right turns in an, in an instant because you've already done the thinking and yeah. the deep uh, understanding of who you are, who you want to be, who yeah. do you want to become. And then you, you, know, you can't control your circumstances, but if you know what is your North Star, and sometimes yeah. you need to recalibrate it every few years, by the yeah. way, because you grow and change. But if you know what's your North Star, then you're able to take these turns in life uh, much uh, faster, much yeah. easily than others. I'm known for being a very... Um, you know, a quick study, but also a quick uh, decision maker. I don't yeah. spend a lot of time uh, mulling over decisions. Mm-hmm. And that's partly because I know the, you know, the big substantial things yeah. that I care about and that make me feel good and that I want to express in my abilities and my skills mm-hmm. and, and I want to develop. And, and so I'm able to recognize these opportunities quickly and, and work towards them. You know, and, and also remember that all of this changes, right? So I've had... S- you could save a few careers so far. So, so let's stick to, stick to this for a second <laughs> because we had a, we had a small conversation about a few weeks ago. So you support others, you explain others how to do, how to manage, how to accelerate the business, how to take innovative. And you started from an entrepreneurial uh, career. Mm-hmm. Don't you feel that sometimes you need to have something for, I mean to, to build a business, to build a startup to, to come up with a new idea? Uh, by your own? Okay, so I'll say a few things about it. For me, the main, and I've realized that about myself, I guess back when I was, I kind of knew it probably when I was 25, but really realized it formally when I was 30 or 29 and had kind of like a period of... Like little. last year. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I am almost 42 to those listening. So uh, we're talking about 15 years ago. I realized that for me, I enjoy using my skills and my abilities uh, the most uh, to help others grow. 
what I call growth in connection. So whether I'm in connecting with you or a, or a client, an uh, innovation manager or a CEO or a mentee or a mentor mm-hmm. or a friend, I, my greatest gratification is knowing I left them better than, oh, that sounds so cliche, but, <laughs> but it's true. I, I enjoy the, this um, growth in connection and uh, seeing that people around me uh, grow through it and myself also grow from, 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 from you know, being there f- for them. Um, and so when I founded organizations, like when I founded nonprofits mm-hmm. uh, you know, 15 years ago, it was because of that. I saw a lot of people from my community that were having a really hard time, by the mm-hmm. way, including, uh, in a sense, myself. Yeah. Legally, I was, you know, uh, part of a um, um, discriminated uh, minority. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many respects still, but in a much better uh, position than we were. And so I saw no one else doing what I was thinking should be done. So yeah. I started doing it, okay? But it wasn't from the motivation of, I want to make, uh, which a is, a, big is, which is a fine CEO motivation, but yeah. it's a fine motivation, but it wasn't like an achievement. I want to achieve this yeah, or achieve yeah. that, or I want to make a lot of money, or I want to be known, or I want to be famous. It was, I need to help because no one else is doing this, yeah. and this is missing. You know, having said all of that, I do have things that I want to, you know, um, accomplish, not maybe an organization of my own, although it might happen, and I do help a lot of, you know, entrepreneurs uh, build their own. My new, so to speak, organization is a book I'm working on. It was one of my questions, so... Yeah, <laughs> book. Answered. Actually, probably I'm going to do two, but first I'm going to do a book on innovation management and then a book on uh, mentoring. And this is part of what I said, growth in connection. So if mm-hmm. I'm doing something, the reason I'm doing it is I'm seeing there's so much knowledge out there and it's not organized and it's also not validated. And, and innovation managers and people running mentoring programs need some kind of guidance and yeah. so this is kind of what prompted me to do that so one last question usually you ask this question if you were magically travel back in time to meet younger yourself just after finished your service in the not in the unit but in the idea <laughs> what advice would you give to your younger self first relax <laughs> then be less humble it <laughs> sounds so horrible But when I was back then, maybe you don't hear it now, but back then I was so insecure hmm. and I was very, I would try not to make others feel small next to me. Hmm. And it took me many, and, and I prevented myself from expressing completely yeah. myself and my abilities and opportunities. And it took me a few years to realize, you know, you shouldn't dim your light so that yeah. others won't be, you know, won't feel bad about themselves. Hmm. You can't, growth and connection is wonderful, but not at your own expense, yeah. right? So I would uh, tell my younger self to be, more proud hmm. and more confident and relax a little bit because everything is tr- turns out well hmm. even if it doesn't turns out exactly the way you wanted it to turn out very good <laughs> Yoni thank you very much I'm proud to be and honored to have you as a, as the co-host and uh, my interviewee today every few months I try to call you and uh, to join me to another uh, initiative <laughs> sometimes it works sometimes not. Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, maybe in the near future uh, we'll have another uh, new one. <laughs> um, and Gladly. thank you for everything you do for uh, AFU 669, to the Cat Association, and of course for our country. Uh, and I want to thank the Ariela House Radio Studio in Tel Aviv for hosting us. And thank you again, Jonathan. Our podcast will be uploaded to Spotify, Apple Music, and we'll advertise it through the AFU 669 marketing channels. And if you want to get our newsletters or uh, the podcast episodes or get involved, please join our mailing list or just write to us through our website at www.afu669.org.
And by the way, our annual gala will take place in New York City on November 10th. Tickets are limited and already available on our website. Thank you again. Stay well. And we're looking forward to our next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.